Hello and welcome to Dice and Dachshunds, a new podcast about board games and dachshunds. This is my first ever podcast, so I have no idea what I'm doing, uh, but we're going to give it a try anyway. My name is Matthew. And I'm Diana. And in my lap is Buddy. And in my lap is Mikey. They're dachshunds, not people. They disagree with that. Well... Fuzzy people. Anyway, we're going to talk about some board games. Today we're both going to be talking about worker placement games. Worker placement games usually involve placing a little wooden figure or a die or some other token with a limited number of workers and a limited number of spaces. So you're gathering resources, you're performing actions, and so on but you're jockeying for position in the worker placement spaces with other players. So that's where a lot of the tension of the game comes from. So we're each sort of going to talk about our favorite game right this minute, which, you know, might change in 10 minutes because the idea of trying to pick our favorite game of all is kind of a daunting thought. So my favorite game right now is Alchemist by Matas Kotri, published by CGE. It's a worker placement game, as we were just discussing, um, and it's also a deduction game, kind of like Clue, only not really a whole lot like Clue. You're trying to figure out which combinations of reagents in the game make which potions, but that's only part of it. The rest of it is where you're trying to publish your theories about what makes what and outcompete your um, your other players for... for uh, academic honors. So it's sort of the satire of academia and a deduction game, which are two things I really like. I also really enjoy this game too, and some of my favorite parts of it have to do with its sense of humor. So over the course of the game, you're gathering different reagents and testing them. You have two options for testing. You can test them on yourself, and if you've created a bad potion, you know, a poison potion or a potion of paralysis or a potion of madness, you suffer those negative effects on the next turn. So that's risky. Alternatively, you can hire a student to be your your taste tester of sorts. And the first person to test on him each turn, he, is, he or she is excited to be part of the process and will actually taste the potion for free. And that will continue until somebody feeds him or her a bad potion, at which point they get grumpy and you actually have to pay them to taste more. One of the best ways to make money in the game is actually to sell your creations to various adventurers who will come by. They want different types of potions to fit their profession. And you are able to set a higher price based on the level of guarantee you're willing to make the adventurer. You can make the most gold by saying, this is exactly the potion you're looking for, I guarantee it. And if it turns out to not be the right potion because you've got your your uh, notes down wrong, then you get no money. The, the range of guarantees you can make goes all the way down to a one gold guarantee, which is basically, this is a potion. I don't know what it'll do, but it's a potion, and it's magical, and I made it. Give me a gold coin. There's a bonus card you can play, 
where basically you're spiking it so you get an extra gold, because hey, it'll be a tasty potion. One of the other interesting things about the game is that it's all technology. It's, uh, it's played with the help of an app that gives it replayability, you know, so that it's the different reagents, different combinations of reagents make a different potion every time, and you sync up your apps, and so you can each sort of check your own potions. There's a way to do it without the apps, but it basically ends up with one person not having any fun, so, you know, we've always played it with the app. A lot of sort of early attempts to integrate technology into games I thought were really clumsy, but this one works really well, um, and I'm comforted by the fact that there is a non-technological way to do it, but the technological way is clearly better most of the time. Just like in other worker placement games, you're sending your assistants out to fight for a limited number of spots in various facilities. So there are a limited number of places to gather reagents or test potions, and the order in which you do things sometimes matters because different reagents will have been pulled from the forest already, or, as I said before, the testing student will be grumpy that turn. But the other source of pressure is this need to publish. You get points in the game each turn based on whoever's got the most published theories, so you're encouraged to publish earlier rather than later, when you may not be completely sure of what you're talking about. Uh, and that leaves the door open for other people to debunk your theories. And because you're being forced to publish before you may be completely sure, even though you're putting a paper out there that says, hey, the scorpion has these alchemical properties, people can't just assume you're right and copy what you've written down into their own logs. They can probably do that, but they can't be absolutely sure. The only real drawback to this game, if you consider it a drawback, is that it's it's a little bit hard to learn, a little bit hard to teach new players, because you have to explain not only how the game works, but how the deduction science system works. So you kind of have to get one straight, and then you have to kind of go on to the other one, and, and you know, it, it can make the um, game go on for a really long time. It's supposed to go on for about up to two hours, according to the box, I think all of ours have maybe been a little longer than that. Two to four players. Um, yeah, once you once you figured it out, it's really fun. Yeah, I'd recommend it too. It, as Diana said, teaching it and learning it is a bit of a bear, but it's totally worth it. So the game that I'm bringing to the table today is a game that we just played for the first time, and it's called Istanbul. It's by Rudiger Dorn and published by AEG. Like a lot of European-style games, it's a trading game. You play traders in Istanbul, and you're moving things around the city. It's a worker placement game, but it has a spatial element, because where you're going in the city in relation to other things matters. It has a dexterity component. It's a little odd, but the traders in Istanbul, at least as represented in this game actually ride around on the shoulders of their assistants, and they're pushing these wheelbarrows that have big holes in them, trying to keep all of the goods that they're collecting from falling out, and so a big part of the game is just juggling all of that at once. Okay, so I might be lying about the dexterity component. You do end up stacking 
the piece representing your trader on top of discs representing your assistants, and the wheelbarrows that you use do start with gaps in them that you fill in over the course of the game, but I just really like the image of these guys teetering around on their assistants as they move through the city. Another thing that sets this game apart from other worker placement games as well, most worker placement games are about being as efficient as possible within a finite amount of time. Most most of these games have a set number of rounds. Istanbul is one of the ones I've encountered where it's actually a race. The first person to a certain number of rubies, which you get in various ways by trading goods or spending money, the first person to this maximum number of rubies triggers the end of the game. Add to that the fact that it has a modular board that can be shuffled in various ways to fit different lengths of games and different challenges, and the fact that as you're moving through the city, you're dropping off assistance. You can't continue to do actions once you've run out of assistance, so you have to swing back around to pick them up or call them all back to meet you at the fountain. And this is a, a really unusual take on the genre that I'm still trying to wrap my head around. We've only played it once at this point, but I think it has a lot of potential. And clearly other people do too, because it won the coveted Kennerspiel Award, which is apparently German for very good game. Smart play. Or knowledge play, something like that. My German is really rusty. So those are two games that we have enjoyed and have played recently. We also have a large stack of games that we haven't learned to play yet. So we thought we'd talk a little bit about what's coming up that we're looking forward to. One of the ones that I'm looking forward to, speaking of German, is Pantalos, designed by Bernd Eisenstein of Iron Games. It's uh, it's another worker placement game where you're all ancient Greek heroes trying to, you're like summoning titans, but also doing a bunch of economic stuff, and yeah, the version of the game we got had a bunch of pieces missing, and we reached out to the maker, and they got us new ones really quickly, and that was really awesome of them. So yeah, I'm looking forward to playing their game. And I'm looking forward to learning Fury of Dracula, the third edition just put out by Fantasy Flight Games, which is an all-versus-one game where... One person plays Dracula, and the other players play the Hunters, Van Helsing and Mina Harker and the other characters who are chasing Dracula sort of after the events of the novel. It's one of the earlier and most highly regarded hidden movement games, which is a genre I'm not really familiar with at this point, but I thought I'd try and go for the best for my first one, and I'm really looking forward to seeing how it plays. So, thanks for listening to the very first episode of Dice and Dachshunds. I hope you enjoyed it, and we'll try and post another one sometime. Special thanks to my wife for stepping away from her novel, which she has described, and I quote, as the novel I may have been waiting my entire adult life for. Also, thanks to Wagsmore for the Dachshunds, and to the Dachshunds for being quiet and relatively unfussy during this recording. And thanks to Kevin McLeod for our royalty-free theme, 
We're using it under a Creative Commons license, and I'll put the uh, licensing information in the notes for the podcast, so you can go check out his work. Goodbye for now.